Hello and welcome to Series 2 of A Coffee With, a CMD podcast where we find out how inspiring women in pharmacy got to where they are today. I'm CMD's editor, Beth Kennedy, and this series I'll be sitting down with some incredible women in pharmacy to talk about their biggest career highlights, the stumbling blocks they've overcome and everything in between. So get comfortable, pour yourself a cuppa, and join me for the latest episode of A Coffee With. Harpreet Channa is a leadership and mental wellbeing coach and founder of the Mental Wealth Academy, as well as sitting on C&D's Women in Pharmacy board. Over a long career in pharmacy, she's held positions at the NPA and PSNC, as well as roles in medicines management and in both hospital and community pharmacies. She describes herself as creating resilient leaders in the pharmacy and healthcare sectors, which is something I'll be asking her about a bit later. And after a crazy couple of years we've all had, I know this will resonate with a lot of listeners. I'm really excited to talk to Harpreet today. I'm sure she'll be brimming with interesting stories and great advice for all of you. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So let's start off by going way back to the beginning and talking about how you got started in pharmacy. and What made you want to be a pharmacist? I didn't actually want to be a pharmacist to start off with. I actually struggled with sciences at school, but I did better in my GCSEs than I think anyone ever expected. I got double A stars. So my dad was like, oh, you know, it'd be really good if one of my children did something medically. I have three elder sisters and they'd all done something non-medical. And my younger brother wasn't showing any signs of really wanting to study much at all. So dad was like, oh, it was always, you know, your granddad's dream. One of you would do something in the medical field. And my granddad, who had lived with us, had sadly passed away the year before. So I really felt a bit of pressure to change my A-levels. So I did. And I found the sciences hard. I've always struggled with the sciences. It's not something that comes easily to me. I always was a humanities girl. But, you know, I persevered. And actually, as I started my degree course, I really, really enjoyed what I was doing, particularly once we started to move into the disease management side of things and the more clinical work. And we'd kind of moved away from, as everyone who's done pharmacy knows, the the maths, the physics and all the kind of physical stuff I, I didn't particularly enjoy. But when it was talking about people, and there'll be a theme here as we're talking, that I love helping people. I love understanding how we can help people make them better, make them feel better, help them in their treatment. So that for me was a big thing. And so I really started to enjoy what I did. And so, you know, once I'd finished my degree, I qualified in hospital. I stayed in hospital for a little while, but realized quite quickly it wasn't for me for a number of reasons. And at the time I actually started locuming, but within the month of me locuming, I was offered a manager's position in a store that was particularly difficult. I hadn't had a proper manager for a couple of years. In the year that I worked there, I turned it round from, as I said, it was a difficult store for, again, a number of reasons, but it didn't have a lot of systems and processes. And that's one of the things I have a passion for is operational efficiency. I kind of put all of those into that store and had to leave because I was going to be getting married. And so took another job on, which kind of took those skills and really built them because the one thing I've done and the one thing you'll realize as we talk, I've always pushed the boundaries of the profession. I've always sort of looked at, okay, what, what else could I do? And, you know, I've never really stayed in one sort of industry or in one area. I've really tried to push and branch out as much as I can. But that's effectively where I started. And, you know, I took those skills of putting in processes and implementing and planning and managing projects 
And I've really built on that throughout my pharmacy career. That's really interesting. And something that I picked up on there just with a few things that you said is you were sort of saying, you know, you struggle with the sciences, but you hang on a minute, you managed to get your pre-reg in, in hospital and they're really coveted places. So is that something that you do a lot? Are you quite hard on yourself? Yes, I'm absolutely hard on myself. As many pharmacists are, we're very hard on ourselves. And I will admit, I failed a year at university. I really did find it tough. And the second year, there was one particular module that it just got the better of me. And it was the same at A-level. It was the same area that I'd struggled with. And it just got the better of me. And I had to take a year out and really reassess what I wanted to do. And I worked for that year, worked hard on that module, came back, smashed it, obviously. And I don't think I've ever failed Touchwood, other than my driving test. Does that count? No, I think most people have failed at least one driving <laughs> test. Well, exactly. That's what I say. People who fail once make the best drivers. And that's what I say. But yeah, that experience of failure really, really changed my life because I don't think I'd be where I am now if I hadn't failed that year. And I haven't actually failed anything since because it completely changed my mindset around how I was approaching my exams and study in general. And so again, it really leads into what I'm doing now in terms of how our mindset can change everything for us. I did fail a year. I did struggle. And I'll tell you, I only got the one interview because it was a panel of four. Four of my places were in one place. And the first question I got asked was, so I see that you've struggled with your studies. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? And I was like, no. (laughs) I absolutely did not know where to start. I thought, oh my gosh, this is the only interview I have. And all four of my people are here. And I've been asked the question about failure. But you know, I kept my cool. And they gave the answer then in the same way that I would give you the answer now, which is, Actually, it defined me. Failure doesn't need to be something you need to fear. It can absolutely define who we are and it can completely change our perspective on things, which is what it did for me. So it was actually probably the best thing that could have happened to me because, as I said, it got me to change things. And I don't think I would have done as well if I hadn't have experienced just sheer gutting experience of failure. And that's why I always say to people, you know, we've just had obviously all the pre-regs get their exam results that just because you failed something, it doesn't define you. It's your response to that failure that defines you. And you say that your outlook changed and everything kind of changed for you. So what exactly was that? Was it maybe putting less pressure on yourself? I think it was more experience of, you know what, once you've failed and you've experienced it, it's actually not as bad as you think it is. Does that make sense? Like, I think we, there's nothing to be scared of anymore. The worst thing has happened. Yeah, the worst thing has happened. And, you know, having to tell my parents I'd failed the year, having to see all my friends, you know, go on to the next year and me have to take that year out. And when I joined the year below, they were very cliquey and I just, I didn't have any friends. They were all in the year above. It was a really hard time. And I thought, you know what, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. And I think that's the thing with any adversity. Once we get through the other side, you sort of look back on it and think, my God, yeah, I did that. I got through that. I am tougher than I think. I'm more resilient than I think. Why did I worry about that so much? So it was that, I think, that did it for me. It's really interesting. And things have changed massively since then. You're, you're not as much in practice anymore, I understand. And, you, and you, you do more things with the Mental Wealth Academy and as a coach, really, I suppose it would be. How did you get from working at those pharmacies into what you're doing now? I think this comes back to what I was saying about stretching the boundaries of the profession. And you know, if you go back and look at my career history, it's really varied. So I went from managing that community to this implementation role to then I was in software development and medicines management. But it gave me both the experience of medicines management pharmacists and teams and what they do. 
and then also software development and project management and agile. And I'd never really come across that before. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I went and did my prints too as a result of it because I really enjoyed the software development and project work. And then I went from that to PSNC and I was their head of pricing. And so I suddenly went from what I had been doing to something, again, completely different, working with the pharmaceutical supply chain, working with the Department of Health, with the NHS in a way that I never had before. And then I obviously I went from there to the NPA as their digital program director, again, picking up that software development and that project piece and data analytics, which is another passion of mine. And so, yeah, as I said, I've really kind of pushed those boundaries. But when I was in those senior national roles, you know, and I'm quite open about it when I was at PSNC, I did struggle because I was young. I was 30 years old. I had a very demanding role and I was part of the senior team. For the large part, we were just sort of left with our own devices to do our work. I did struggle with the lack of support and development that I got in the role. Unfortunately, it wasn't the main cause, but it was a big cause of my own struggles with mental health, which I talk about quite openly. I struggled quite badly with stress and burnouts, like so many of us pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, you know, so many of us do. And like so many, I didn't tell anyone about it at the time because I didn't feel like I could because, you know, we work in pharmacy, we help the sick, we don't get sick ourselves. And so we don't even take days off. So for me to be open and honest about what was going on, I didn't feel like I could again, like so many. And so I struggled in silence for many years. And unfortunately, because I wasn't dealing with the causes of the stress and the burnout, it became depression. And then the depression got so bad that I just wanted to end it. One day I realized, oh my God, this isn't good. And I think I've been kidding myself that I'm okay. I'm not okay. But you know what? The hardest thing was admitting it to myself, let alone admitting it to anyone else. It was to be able to sit and say, oh, I'm not this tough, you know, superwoman, working mum, got this great job and, you know, manages this wonderful life like so many of us try and do. That thought was really sobering because I thought, my gosh, I'm not who I thought I was. When you have a loss of identity like that, I know this happens with a lot of working mothers when they go back to their jobs after their maternity leave, they lose their identity a bit because they're no longer the person that they were. Of course, they're not because their responsibility, their outlook has completely changed. But when you experience a loss of identity like that, my gosh, does it throw you and can it knock you for six? It did for me. And I then have had to do quite a bit of work putting myself back together again. I left that role because I realized that it wasn't the right place for me. You know, I started working for the MPA, really enjoyed my time there and what I did. And then whilst I was there, I qualified as a coach because it was working with a mindset coach that had helped me to really start to turn things around. And again, change that mindset, change how I'm approaching things, change what I think about things, change what I think about myself. It was working with that coach that completely changed everything for me. And I thought, my God, I can't believe how much this has transformed my life. So much so that I thought, this is what I want to do for other people. This is exactly what I want to do. I want to help other people, particularly within pharmacy, to not succumb to where I got to, to be mentally fitter, to be able to manage themselves better, teach them the kinds of things that we should be taught at school and at university about self-management and self-leadership so that we don't succumb to these pressures of the profession, which sadly, they're never going to go away. They're always going to be there. But how we respond to them, that's something that we can change. I identify with a lot of that. I've had similar experience. I'm not a pharmacist. I'm a journalist by background. But certainly that sudden loss of identity when you're thinking, 
hang on a minute, no, I don't have this. And it's interesting that you sort of grappled with this feeling of, hang on, I'm not this tough person, when actually, I think everything that you've done since and actually admitting that you have an issue is probably the toughest thing that you can do. I suppose it is, Beth, and, I, and it was thanks to C&D, actually, because you were the ones that printed my, I call it my coming out article, two years ago, almost to the day. And it wasn't an easy thing for me to do. And let me tell you, I had sleepless nights before that article came out. But I think it's because at the time, pharmacist support and yourselves had just done a survey and the figures had astounded everybody in terms of how many people, how many pharmacists were really struggling. You also did a parliamentary event and I went to that parliamentary event and I was sitting in the room and all these people talking about pharmacist mental health. And I thought, actually, so many of you probably don't actually understand. You've not been there yourself. I'm not saying that they don't understand, but you can't sympathize in the same way. You just can't. And I sat in that room and I thought, I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like when you're at the end of like despair and you just think there's no hope and you just feel trapped in the role that you're in. You don't think that there's a way out. You don't know how to help yourself. You don't know who you can turn to or trust. And I just felt that these issues weren't being captured. And that is why I went public with it, because I thought, listen, if somebody who had a senior national role, who is in the public eye, because I was, can come out and say, I've struggled with my mental health and it's okay because we're human too and it's okay that we've struggled. If I can do it, then I'm hoping that other people can go, gosh, I'm not on my own. You know, she's also struggled. She's also had these issues. She gets it. And that's what I get from pharmacists every single day. The amount of people that I speak to and say, you understand and your story could be my story and you really get it. That's what drives me to continue doing the work that I'm doing because I know it's making that impact. Well, it's so important to talk about it, isn't it? I know it's been said a lot over the past few years, but I really feel as though sometimes organisations and the teams that do the best work on this are the people who move beyond paying lip service to that idea and once you actually commit to doing something about it and do have those open and honest conversations with one another. How did the Mental Wealth Academy start? So I know that you, you know, your course presumably on coaching. How did you get from A to B on that? As I said, I I became a coach because I wanted to give back and wanted to help other people. That's always been at the core of everything that I do. In terms of the Mental Wealth Academy, it came about because the course that I did was at the IPEC school and they have a proprietary assessment, which I absolutely love because what it does is it tells you how you show up day to day and then what happens to you when you're put under stress. And it's an attitudinal assessment. So it's about your attitude, your approach the way you perceive things, and more importantly, why, where it comes from. And a lot of us do these psychometric kind of testing. We do DISC or we do Myers-Briggs, and it sort of says, oh, you're a this or you're a that, which means you do this. Whereas this assessment is very individual. It's based on your own beliefs and perceptions. And the kind of coaching session that comes with it is always groundbreaking for anyone that I do it with because it's like, oh, my gosh, either A, I didn't realize I did that, or it'll be B, I didn't realize where it came from. Because, of course, when we realize where it comes from, you can start to change it. And that whole thing about understanding how we respond to stress and what our default reaction is to stress means that once we understand what that default reaction is, whether it's fight or flight or a bit of both, we can then start to choose our response. Once we have that self-awareness of this is what I do, this is my pattern when I'm put under stress. And actually, that's not serving me. And so I want to choose to do it a different way. And I'm actually going to choose something that's better for me and better for those around me. That's mental wealth. And I sat there and I remember trying to think, you know, what do I want my company to be called? 
And I was thinking about mental health and the stigma that's associated with mental health and particularly in our profession. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to flip this round. It's actually about mental wealth. It's about investing in our mental health. It's about understanding how we respond to things so that we can change it and we can have better control of the things that we say and the things that we do. And that absolutely is mental health. And so that's kind of where Mental Health Academy came from. I always had it in my head that I wanted to give back to the profession, as I said. And so, yeah, that's where it came about. I just thought, right, who do I know in the sector who can help support this? And I've had some amazing people support me in the last couple of years on everything that I've done. So I'm truly, truly grateful. I'm grateful to C&D for the opportunities that you've given me to talk about this, because I think the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. And it is normal. And so for anyone listening who might be thinking, oh, I'm not normal because I can't cope. And if I look at such a body, they can cope. And that person is doing really well. You know, you are normal. And every single one of us has moments when we think, oh, my God, I can't do this. And what am I doing? And should I be doing something else? That's totally normal. Well, I mean, especially during the past couple of years over the pandemic, it's been an incredible amount of pressure on everybody. I wanted to ask you how you've seen that impact, perhaps maybe even more so the female clients that that you have, the stress of the pandemic and how that's affected them. It's not just the females. You know, a lot of the men also struggle with things like not feeling good enough and imposter syndrome. Mm. I think this is just a profession thing. We beat ourselves up so much. And I talk about this a lot. In any talk I give, I talk about why pharmacists and people working within pharmacy end up being prone to stress and depression and burnout because it's because we have these impossibly high standards because we have to be accurate in our work. It's This is where it comes from. We are the failsafe. We check the accuracy of everybody else's work. Therefore, we have to be perfect in inverted commas. And unfortunately, when you live in a world where you always have to be perfect, you can't make mistakes. Not only do you really fear failure, just like I did, but you genuinely go around thinking that you're not good enough because you're not meeting your own high standards. And so that can really cause problems. And I saw it over COVID because we set ourselves up to fail, really. We want to have this amount of work done. We want to have all the dispensing clear. We want to have done these number of wards, whatever it might be. We have that standard in our heads. And then if we don't meet it, a lot of the time it's impossible because they're exceptionally high standards. We then beat ourselves up about it and think, oh, you know what? You should have done this or you could have done that, or why didn't you do this? All of these questions that just make us feel horrendous. I saw a lot of it, and you're nodding, and I know, but this is women all over, by the way. I think it's heightened within pharmacy. You know, we just compare ourselves to each other all the time. Why? Because society compares us. It always does. If you've got a group of girls and you've got one that's a bit bigger than the others, people will judge her for being the biggest. It happened with Little Mix. It's why Jessie left. You know, she struggled with her mental health. Why? Because everybody called her the fat, ugly one. Yeah. This is what happens. And we do it without even realising. We women do it to each other. We don't even know we're doing it. But we will spot the one that might be a bit odd or might be the biggest or might be wearing something that is you know, a bit provocative or whatever it might be. We judge and we judge others and we judge ourselves. And it's that judgment. My goodness, if you could just drop that judgment of yourself and of others. And I go through every single pharmacist or pharmacy professional I work with, we have to cover judgment because it's that judgment of ourselves and of others. That is what leads to us feeling the way that we do, because we are holding people against these impossible standards. And when they're falling short, we get frustrated with others and we get frustrated with ourselves. And so, you know what? Make life easy on yourself. Drop the judgment. Honestly, it's the biggest piece of advice I could give you because all of a sudden overnight, 
all of these worries that you had, they're no longer worries anymore because you just accept other people for who they are and where they are and you accept yourself for who you are and where you are. Sounds like such a massive load off. It is. And, you know, and I've done it myself. And this is the thing. I don't coach and I don't train from a textbook, right? I'm not a therapist. I'm very clear to say that. I do get people who've been to therapy already come to me and say, listen, I've figured out why I'm doing this. I now want ways to overcome that. Can you help me? Can you hold my hand while we come up with new practical ways of dealing with life and dealing with some of these situations? that don't take me back into this negative thinking because I don't want to be there. And that's exactly what I do. And that's what I help people with. And I do it from my own practical experience. I do these things myself every day. And I know how hard it is to do when you have other commitments, work, family, whether it's younger dependents, older dependents, it is hard. But my goodness, you'll feel so much better compared to where I was five years ago. I am so, so happy compared to where I was. I really, really am. And you only need to see a picture of myself from back then. For the listeners' benefit, Harper is looking very glam today. She's um, <laughs> in a lovely orange top and looking fabulous. So talking about how happy you are now compared to how you were back then when, when things weren't really working for you, kind of brings me nicely onto my next question, which is, can you talk about some career highs that you had? Yeah, I've had many career highs and never think and never hold yourself back from going for a role because you think you haven't got the experience. Because I kid you not, I went for my implementation role not having implementation experience. I got it. Why? Because of me and my transferable skills. I then went to a role that was in medicines management with no medicines management experience. All the other people in the team were medicines management pharmacists. They'd come from PCTs at the time. I was the first one that hadn't. Why? Because I made my skills transferable. I went to PSNC. I was the youngest in the senior team. And again, I wasn't a superintendent. I didn't have that experience of the drug tariff. I thought I knew the drug tariff until I started in that job and thought, my gosh, I don't know the drug tariff at all. But I learned. I learned on the job. I was keen. I was enthusiastic. And you know what? I spent my time investing in personal relationships. And that is what has done it for me my entire career, because we are highly intelligent, capable women. You can't be a pharmacist or even a technician if you're not highly intelligent and you're not capable. We all are. And the amount that we manage at work is phenomenal. So we are incredibly talented at what we do. The problem is, is that we've beaten ourselves down over the years. The profession, sadly, and some of the external factors have beaten us and ground us down over the years. And so we start to erroneously think that we aren't good enough. And the number of women I work with who have done the same job for 20, 30 years, and they want to do something new, but they don't have that confidence. And they think, I can't do this, Harper. I haven't got the skills. Let me tell you the amount of people who've made that transition, even from community to GP pharmacy, who don't have the required skills, but have done it because actually what I've done is help them to work on their confidence and realize that so much of what they've learned in their jobs can help them in any new role. It's all transferable. Think of some of the skills that we learn in pharmacy and managing a busy pharmacy. Honestly, those transferable skills are like gold. We just need to get better at shouting about them. I couldn't agree more. And something that you mentioned a couple of times there and I'm, I'm interested in is this idea of, of you having been quite successful really quite young. How much more pressure do you think you put yourself under because of that to live up to those expectations of yourself? And I guess what you perceive others' expectations to be of you? Hugely, 
hugely. And that is something that's difficult to undo even now, because when you have a an idea of a kind of a level that you should be at or a, a status that you should be at, to then not be there anymore is, you know, it's quite difficult to, you know, to start a business right from scratch, which is what I did. You know, you're effectively starting right back at the bottom again from, from having been at the top of my profession. So that, you know, it's not been easy. And I looked around and everybody else was doing the same thing. All of my colleagues were working the long hours and, you know, for some of them, work was their absolute life. And I felt that I had to do the same and that I had to produce the same amount of work. Um, but we have different responsibilities. You know, they didn't have a young baby at home. I did. And so, you know, I did have different pressures. And I'm going to say it, you know, I'm, of, I'm of, of Asian descent. I'm of Indian descent. I have cultural expectations as well. So everybody's experience is different. And so we shouldn't do that comparison game, but absolutely we do. Again, it comes back to those standards I had of myself and those expectations I had of myself that I need to do this, that and the other at this certain age. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And I see young pharmacists doing that now the same the way that I did. And all I would say to them is as long as their intention is good and they're not just doing it because they're trying to, you know, almost validate themselves with success, then carry on doing it. Honestly, carry on doing it. But if you're pushing and pushing and pushing because you need more and more success to make yourself feel worthy, that's where the problems can occur. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And another word that's come up a lot during the pandemic when we're talking about mental health and indeed mental wealth and that idea of getting yourself mentally to the best place you can be is this word resilience. And I, I wanted to pick that up with you because that's something that you have described yourself as trying to create for people. And I do think it's an interesting word in the context of the past couple of years because I hear it slightly weaponized a little bit as if everyone has to be mentally resilient and somehow I think people can internalize that into well I'm not doing well I must not be resilient and that is yet another stick to beat themselves with what would you kind of say to anybody who's grappling with that idea at the moment gosh resilience is a buzzword isn't it Mm -hmm. that we've heard a lot in the last couple of years again resilience is different for every single individual and your perception of resilience will be different from my perception of resilience what I like to say instead of resilience is coping mechanisms what are your coping mechanisms because that's the key here And resilience is that ability to bounce back. And actually, in order to be able to bounce back, you've got to have some healthy coping mechanisms in place first. And many of us don't have healthy coping mechanisms, myself included. I like my food. I'm a big foodie. Food has been a comfort to me over the years. Equally, I like a glass of wine now and then, particularly if you've had a stressful day. (laughs) not saying I drink every day, but, you know, it's just that whole, oh, you know, I really fancy a glass of wine. I enjoy the taste of it. It has been one of my coping mechanisms in the past. I also know many other people who do this, and this one's a big one as well, particularly in women. Another unhelpful coping mechanism is to keep yourself busy and distracted so that you don't have time to sit and think about actually you might be unhappy and what might be making you unhappy. So we keep ourselves busy and distracted all the time and we just suppress, suppress, suppress. And actually we don't process how we're feeling. We don't process what's happening to us, what's happening out there. And that is what I want to see more of you know, work on your coping mechanisms, work on how you are processing, how you are dealing with things and actually sit with some of these feelings because you'll be surprised. I think people don't do it because they're scared of what might come up for them. And in some cases, that's exactly what they need to do because whatever does come up for them, that's when they can go and get help for it. The problem when you're suppressing, which is what I did for many years, by the way, you know, I not only worked in this job and commuted to London and had a little baby, we were so busy. Like I crammed the weekends, 
We were so sociable. We had all this stuff going on. Why? Because I didn't want to stop still and have to process how unhappy I truly was. And so I kept myself busy. And so it's about learning healthy coping mechanisms. And I don't just mean things like mindfulness or yoga, because that never resonated for me. I was never that way inclined. I was like, I'm not a big fan of yoga and I can't meditate. Yeah. I can't sit still long enough. Yeah, know? exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. But there are little things that you can do that you can start off small. It doesn't have to be sitting in a yoga pose for 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be trying to meditate when meditation is not something that is natural to you. There are other things that you can do working either with someone like myself or getting some things online. You've talked about me being in orange today. It's because I'm filming a free mental fitness for pharmacy video course, which goes into some of this, some of these tips and tricks, some of these practical solutions, right, in terms of how you can start to change some of your own coping mechanisms and how you can be mentally fitter, both at work and at home. I'm really excited to see those videos. I think they'll be incredibly useful for people. So what are some challenges that you have faced as a woman in pharmacy over your career? We know that our profession is predominantly female, yeah. yet senior positions are held predominantly by males. That can cause a problem when you are the only female in a sea of men, firstly, to be taken seriously, particularly if those males are older than you, which of course happened to me. So I was working with men who were a lot older, who saw me as an adoptive daughter. And as lovely as that is, sometimes it just felt like they weren't taking me seriously. Yeah, it's infantilizing. Yeah. And I was like, you're not really listening to what I'm saying. And actually, I'm the subject matter expert here. I'm working in this day in, day out. And so if I'm telling you this is the way it has to be, then I need you to take me seriously. It's your business at the end of the day. And if you don't want to listen to me, then and then don't. But I, I did get that quite a lot. People not taking me seriously, people not really respecting the value that I had to bring and my knowledge and expertise. You know, I'm one of the few people in the country that can explain the pharmacy contract to you inside out. There's not many people who can do that. But because I'm a woman, I did feel, and, you know, also because I'm main background, I also felt that too. And there was both positive and negative bias to that as well in my role. So yeah, I have struggled in that regard. I've worked with suppliers before who have been all men companies who then again have gone over my head to the man who isn't the person that they should be contacting because he's the man they would never say it but you know I've had to deal with that scenario too and I'm going to tell you one of the worst things that someone said to me I was in a room full of men older men there was me and one other female who was an exceptional exceptional woman at what she did she wasn't pharmacist but she worked within pharmacy and the two of us were talking about something quite crucial to the project a little bit away from the table. And as we kind of came back to the table, the comment that I got was, oh, what have you two been talking about? Was it hair or was it nails? Nice. Nice. Honestly, in that moment, I was seething and I just thought, you obnoxious man, this lady probably earns literally in a day what you earn in a year. She's so accomplished. How can you speak to her and me like that? But you know, you've got to keep you cool. And I had to be professional. I was the project lead and I did. And I sort of left off at the time, but inside I was seething. And actually what was really nice, my male colleagues were seething on my behalf. And that was the thing that was really nice. They all came up to me afterwards and said, you handled that really well, Harpreet. That was out of order. They shouldn't have said that. And it's just disgusting. And I thought, you know what? Thank goodness for male allies, <laughs> because that was what made me feel so much better in that particular scenario. And I know that women go through this 
every single day. And it's only now, Beth, that I look back on my time in the last few years and occurs to me how much prejudice I received in my roles that I didn't even realize at the time because I'm just so used to it. Just so used yeah. to it. And now when I look back and I think, oh my gosh, I was excluded out of things. I was made to feel like I was young and I didn't know what I was talking about. I was made to feel that because of a woman, I didn't deserve my place. All of these things, but it, it wasn't apparent to me at the time. It's only now with the work that I've done around inclusion and diversity that I realized how much of going on. So many people listening to this will be able to recognize similar incidents. And it's really funny to me as well, that idea of, oh, you know, I laughed it off. And aren't we trained generally as women to laugh it off, be nice? Absolutely. You know, be seen and not heard. And a lot of us were brought up that way. I was brought up in that way in that, you know, I wasn't allowed to question and I just had to be the good little girl and do as I was told. And so we were treated into that oh, you know what, I shouldn't say anything. And again, because we beat ourselves down so much, we lack that confidence sometimes to stand up for ourselves and say, actually, no, this is wrong. And I have called out behaviour in the past. Don't think that I haven't. I have, but I've not been supported. And that's hard too, when you're not then supported because you're just told it's in your imagination or you're just being a bit sensitive. That's the other one I've had. You're just being a bit sensitive, Harpreet. No, I'm not being sensitive. I'm being excluded. And that's not nice in a workplace and in a team. It's not team play. It's not fair team play. So I would say look to those allies, those male and female allies, because they're the ones that are going to get you through. Call out things when you can, have the confidence to do so. And just listen, everything that you do, everything that you're experiencing, once you get through the other side, I know it feels awful at the time, but once you get through the other side, everything's a learning experience. You can find that learning opportunity in everything that you do just get through those difficult times and it will be worth it I promise. That's an incredibly powerful answer to that I think so thank you for that I think lots of listeners will will really find that useful. This is part of a podcast where I like to give my guest the opportunity to shout out another woman in pharmacy or some women in pharmacy just to shout them out so who are some women in pharmacy that you really admire and why? This is such a great question. (laughs) And there are so many women for so many different reasons. And I really feel like I can't say one because I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss people. I need to shout out my two fellow female pharmacists who have set up the Fame Female Pharmacy Leaders Network with, which is Rena Bry and Comal George. I'm shouting those two out because we do this in our spare time. We do it because we want to do it. And we do it because we've also experienced that bias. We've experienced what it feels like to be prejudiced against because of the colour of our skin, because we're women. And although it's called being female, you know what? It's open to all women and men allies as too. But we appreciate and we understand the struggles that us women face. And so we did this and we set up the network just because we did a, an International Women's Day event in March with the NHS and we got such amazing feedback from it that we thought we want to do something. We want to create a network where we can help and mentor each other to really get the best out of ourselves. And so I actually want to give a shout out to the pair of them because, you know, Rena especially with her roles on the NPA board, on the PSNC, and she runs her own business and she's got two young kids and she devotes so much of the time to other things pharmacy. You know, she's just a phenomenal woman who I, you know, really am inspired by. And, you know, Comal, who was my colleague at PSNC, also now a fellow coach, also trying to give back to the profession, just couldn't love them both <laughs> more enough. Yeah, they're incredible examples, I think. And um, I think you're right, there are so many women. But I think my guests on this podcast quite often dread this question because there are almost too many to list. 
There are. And I've worked with some phenomenal women, Beth. Honestly, us women in pharmacy, we do not give ourselves enough credit. We are amazing at what we do. You had it here first, folks. You are amazing. So what is a piece of advice that you wish you'd been given right at the start of your pharmacy career? Don't put up with mediocre. Don't put up with being miserable at work. We spend far too many hours and far too much of our life at work to be doing something we don't love, we don't enjoy, and being somewhere we just don't want to be. And I sadly speak to many female pharmacists, some of them crying, saying, I really don't want to be in my job. And then when we sort of explore what the alternatives are, they just say, well, I can't do anything else. That's wrong. That's the biggest piece of advice I wish somebody had said to me is, Hopper, you don't have to stay in any job because our profession is really versatile. As I said, your skills are transferable. You just need the confidence to go and look at something else. And the problem is once we force ourselves to do something or be somewhere we don't want to be for a prolonged period, when we've beaten and ground ourselves down and we've been beaten and ground down by the job that we're in or, the, as I said, the external factors, we then don't feel that we can do that. We think that we're not good enough. We think that we're not. And I said this earlier. So the key thing for me is if somebody had said to me, don't ever settle, don't ever force yourself to do something you don't want to do. Go and seek something better because you deserve something better. You don't deserve to feel like this. And I would say to anyone that feels like that, reach out because you don't have to. There are lots of people, not just myself, but lots of other wonderful, amazing women in this community who will help you, but don't put up with it. Amazing. I love that answer. Finally, so I know you are a very busy woman and you have fingers in lots of different pies. I know you've got some speaking events coming up. So what's on the horizon for you, Harpreet? Lots of lovely, exciting things. So this free course, as I said, so download it. It's six short videos. You know, you're all busy, so you don't have time to be sitting doing lengthy, lengthy training. So definitely download that. It's available on my website. And then I'm speaking at the pharmacy show, which I'm really excited about. I've got three sessions. I have two around well-being, one on burnout, one on mental fitness, which we've talked a bit about today. And then third, I'm with my colleagues. And this I'm really excited about. We are putting together an accredited leadership program for pharmacy, not just pharmacists, pharmacy. So this is anyone within pharmacy who wants to do a leadership course, because we know that there are massive barriers to the current provisions that we have in terms of, you know, you've got to have offsite, it's really expensive, you've got to go to the place and all that kind of thing. So it's a mixture of online and then one face-to-face at the end. And my partners, who I'm so pleased that I'm going to be speaking with at the pharmacy show, please, please do come and see our session on leadership because the three of us are passionate about it. And Gary, Dr. Redfeather, the professor, he has set up the Pharmacy Leadership and Education Institute in America. He's done this already and he gets why self-leadership is so important within pharmacy. And so we want to give something to the profession that's around not just the leadership, but the well-being too. So Pharmacy Leadership and Wellbeing Academy. You heard it here first. We haven't talked about it anywhere else. Um, World exclusive. Thank you. (laughs) And so it's on the horizon. Look out for it. Well, thank you so much. And do look out for all of those. I'm really excited to catch up with you at the Pharmacy Show as well. And anybody else listening to this who will be going. Thank you so much, Harpreet. Really, really appreciate you taking the time out. It's been amazing to talk to you. Thank you. No, thank you so much, Beth. And, you know, I'm exhibiting at the Pharmacy Show as well. So please come and say hello. I'd love to talk to you. You know, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak today. 
That was Harpreet Chana, a leadership and mental wellbeing coach and founder of the Mental Wealth Academy. We spoke about why it's important to talk about mental health, the challenges of achieving success at a young age, and some exciting opportunities Harpreet's got coming up in the future. And if you like this C&D podcast, you can find more by searching Chemist and Druggist podcast on your preferred app or on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.